Warning, the following podcast is conducted by trained professionals. Any attempts to replicate opinions given in this production may result in serious physical and or mental disfigurement. Viewer discretion is advised. Tis a gift to be simple, tis a gift to be free. Call to personality, coming at you. Maddie, what's going on? Eh, you know, nothing much. Uh, you know what? I think um, this is now the unofficial opening of the show, uh, given how many times we've done it. And, uh, you know, shout out. That's a completely original composition from us, by the way. Yeah, we made that up. We made that up. Uh, yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Anyone who uses it, you owe us royalties. So, thank you. Well, it's in the it's in the works for patent right now. That you know, notoriously, this stuff takes a long time. But uh, please note, anybody who does use that phrase, uh, we will seek legal action, and you will be sorry. Yeah, it's patent pending. So while that is pending, please don't steal it. I'm just letting you know that he, the patent is coming. Here's a here's a question. What is what does that really mean? You know, I mean, <laughs> when you think about it, you know, it's to get to be simple. I I just it's baffling to me. I don't. It's one of that, those things. That's that, it. It's something that springs from your subconscious. You know, something kind of poetic. And I mean, we're really geniuses in that way. Mm-hmm. And that's all. I, you know, there's. That's it. That's it. Mad Max, not Fury Road. I wish. Is Wait, you don't subject, like this one? Well, we'll see. Is the subject for today's show? Okay. Um. Haven't seen it before. I watch Mad Max Fury Road only out of the franchise. I think there's like five movies or something like that. So I went into this movie thinking it was going to be uh, Fury Road. It wasn't. Big Fury mistake. Um, maybe it was kind of a mistake on my end to start with Fury, Fury Road and then see this. But I also rewatched Fury Road after seeing this. Again, just to, because um, I was like, man, how does, how does this tie into Fury Road? Still unsure. I'll probably have to watch the in-betweeners to find the missing link. But uh, <laughs> oh well. At first, when I watched this movie, I was like, man, this sucks. This movie sucks. Like, hey. I was about halfway through. I was like, this, like, what is going on? It it it's paced in an odd way but not necessarily a bad way but then you know stuff started happening i was like okay this is getting epic and it got more epic and it got more epic and then the finale was epic and then i was like okay all that stuff was cool there's lots of cool action sequences and some interesting characters but i was like man the story is kind of weird still and I had to think about it for a while, and then I kind of started like the story a bit more. It it's just it it's in a really weird fashion that they do it. So there's this gang led by Toe Cutter, maybe not the coolest name ever, but whatever. And this biker gang, and they're in a sort of post-apocalyptic world. I I one thing I love is like the first thing, one of the first things that we see in the movie is. Um, little text at the bottom and it says sometime in the future something like that um, and 
that's that's so great. I hope more movies do stuff like that because it's always kind of cringe when a mo- movie from the fifties is like the year twenty fifteen, and there's <laughs> flying cars and they have Superman. It's like oh okay. There's almost a charm to that now though. Like you know, Blade Runner it says it's in twenty nineteen. Yeah. And- and I, I don't know if those kind of things are really meant to be accurate predictions of the future. I really think filmmakers try not to, uh, uh, don't put too much thought into their predictions in that regard. Um, there, funny you mentioned it, and sorry to interject, but uh, there's a rumor or like a kind of, it's weird that it's a rumor because there is no confirmed date when these movies are set. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a rumor going around that Mad Max was said this year, and I read an article like a couple of days ago that was deconfirming that. However, if you're curious, I think at the time that Road Warrior Mad Max 2 came out, George Miller said that he envisioned these to come out or be set in the late 90s. And it does say in the beginning, as you mentioned, a few years in the future. So not too far off. Right. But like the thing about a few years in the future is you could be watching this at any date. And it right. could be a few years from then. Right, yeah. That's how I interpret it anyways. You know what? And the thing is, it's funny because the way that the movie is set up, and especially for people who watch Fury Road, I mean, we might make a few Fury Road comparisons because that's the, probably the Mad Max that most people have seen. Yeah. Uh, because that was a big blockbuster and it got lots of nominations. That one is extremely science fiction influenced, but this one is border, like really has very very few elements to note that it's in the future yes and that may be due in part to the very small budget that this film had which was about 300 to 400 uh, thousand australian dollars in 1979 of course yeah it 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 kind of threw me at first but now i uh i watch it two times and the second time i enjoyed it quite a bit more so there's this gang led by Toe Cutter. Uh, we're introduced at the beginning to a very annoying character. One of my least favorite characters in the whole movie called Knight Rider. He escaped prison or something and he's making his getaway. And then we're introduced to the the other guys in the... I forget what The Peace Force or something? It wasn't... It wasn't Police Force, was it? It was, it was something... I think it was, uh, oh, you mean like the MPF? Yes. That is, uh, what is it? The main patrol force. Or no, sorry, main, main patrol force, force. Main force patrol. Sorry, it's MFP. Main force patrol. Okay. And there's Goose, which we first see. And then we're introduced very dramatically to Mel Gibson's character, uh, Pissed Off Max. And this, basically the whole movie is setting it up so Mad Max and Toe Cutter will fight at the end. And I I wrote down all of the points just to kind of go over the whole thing because it will kind of explain why I think this movie's pace kind of weird. So it's Knight Rider escapes. Max, quote-unquote, kills Knight Rider. Toe Cutter goes into town to retrieve Knight Rider's body and his gang rapes a couple you don't see it and i really love that it's like a a tasteful uh rape scene (laughs) you just see the aftermath we don't see any stupid really shit uh, that we've seen in so many movies 
on the show now. Um, Goose and Max go to the scene of the crime and arrest Johnny the boy. Johnny is released because neither one of the couple wants to testify. Johnny sabotages Goose's bike, making him crash. He then gets a new car, and that car crashes and burns at Johnny's hand. Max quits. Max and his wife vacation while getting a new tire. She stops for ice cream and runs into Tokater's gang. Tokater's gang follows him up north to the vacation home, stalks her in the forest, and steals her baby in return for Kundalini's handbag, which was a joke. And then Grandma starts shooting at Jesse and her escape with the uh, baby, but then they're killed. And then Max goes nuts. And it's like... <sighs> Why I thought it was kind of weird was, in a modern movie, they would set up Max and his family. And then maybe about 20 minutes in, they would die. And then it would be a fight, uh, a fight for his life against the gang. But in this movie, it like just leads up to it, leads up to it, leads up to it, all movie. And then in the last 15 minutes, we get the full slaughter. And it was kind of weird at first. I was like, because the movie doesn't really tell you how you should feel or like, should you care? Like when Goose dies, I was just like, okay. <laughs> do I okay what does that have to like the, for a long time watching the movie I'm like what is the point what is this leading up to mm-hmm. and that's just how I felt for most of it and then I, at the end you get that then you're like okay that's a point and then you kind of have to rewatch it to get the full effect because the movie I'm just like how should I feel um, another thing while watching this movie that I noticed and again maybe this is because I, w- I watched Fury Road first but the world building in this movie kind of sucks it does yeah like this is supposed to be apocalyptic or a dystopian and I'm like what's dystopian about this there are murderous bike gangs in real life are, are we d- a dystopian movie not really getting that. Like, the only dystopian elements is, like, if you take everything at face value, but, like, there's ice cream shops. How dystopian <laughs> is that, that there's ice cream shops still going and they're selling a vanilla cone? Thank you. Or that Goose is at a restaurant. Like, restaurants are just up and running. Like, I needed some more, like, exposition or something to tell me, okay, this is dystopian. Other than this one crow track that they play the whole movie to tell you that (laughs) there's more wilderness. Like this could just be rural America or like is New York city still a thing? Are there huge metropolitan areas? I don't get it really. Or I guess this isn't said in America. Even this is a Australia is a Sydney still a thing. I don't know. Um, I don't know. No, I agree. And you know, that's, that's a a sort of, afterthought portion of the film is the whole post-apocalyptic setting and in fact one of the pieces that trivia is that george miller didn't have that intention necessarily when the script was written the thing and the reason why he sort of had this title card that says it's in the future and to have like a few elements i mean the voice box that a a police officer with a cutthroat has later on Mm -hmm. and a couple small things here there allude to you know this taking place in non-present day but it was really a production value thing. 
and they didn't have the money for extras. They didn't have, so they wanted things to be a bit more desolate mm-hmm. um, and th- things like that. Now, it definitely certainly does not excuse this. And I agree that because you have it in this po- uh, post-apocalypse and when really the only thing dystopian is that, you know, one biker gang comes in and wreaks havoc on, as you said, uh, just some rural portion of Australia. That seems like something that could happen today or could just be happening now. So I'll agree in that front. It's weak and perhaps should have been explained or developed in another way. There is some decent world building through, you know, radio chatter and dialogue and such like that to show that this is not set in the present day. But I think the film would have benefited from a little bit more of a commitment to the premise of future dystopia. However, I guess primarily you could call this film, you know, more so focused on the journey of Max and this plot of vengeance that happens later on in or at least in the third half of the film. And his development. I think that to a degree, it's supposed to be a reaction, um, perhaps to crime at the time. It's done in a way where everything is believable. um, And it's really about Max and his journey. And there's this theme throughout the film that I wanted to talk about of insanity. And of course, the title is Mad Max. But for most of the film, Max is actually, you know, more so mild-mannered Max. He's a pretty level-headed guy. (laughs) But the whole point of the movie is that even in the beginning, Max, in the opening scene, he's presented, and it's interesting that Miller does this, he presents him as like this action hero. And the way Mm -hmm. it's done is that in this opening sequence in which multiple police officers are in pursuit of Knight Rider, um, they don't call in Max, you know, he's parked on the side of the road. You get a glimpse here and there of him through the rear view mirror and a couple of shots of his car, etc. There's a nice establishing shot that I swear to God is also straight up used in Fury Road when the car just rolls in. And it's sort of like, a, what is that kind of shot called? Michael Bay likes to use it a lot. Not a dolly shot. Uh, just a shot when you're underneath, you know, you're kind of underneath the car. I'll look at mm, it yeah, yeah, yeah. But he has this sort of action hero entrance. And it's funny because Max then enters Pursuit and we get his full introduction. And he doesn't, you know, actually even kill Knight Rider. Knight Rider just kills himself by plowing into a a truck carrying drums of oil. Yeah. And then throughout the film, and that moment or that establishing thing is almost in... It serves two purposes. Number one, it's kind of like, to me, um, uh, it's... It alludes later on to when Max, of course, undergoes his transformation after his family is killed, spoilers, uh, and he becomes mad and he goes insane, I suppose. It's almost to show that Max is not at that level yet. So it's a nice piece of foreshadowing, and I appreciate that. But the theme of, like, insanity that pervades the film is, like, really demonstrated, of course, mostly in the biker gang. It's these guys that, you know, they just act cuckoo crazy, they're very and we've reviewed a lot of cult movies we see a lot of kind of characters like this if you ever seen the warriors it kind of remind me of some of the warriors where they're where they kind of act like just punk rock guys going yeah all the time they'll see a lady guy in in the scene in which jesse rock katansky which is max wife goes to get ice cream with their kid uh whose name's sprog 
I, I, which is another, I guess, way of showing that it's dystopia because kids are given terrible names like Sprog. Um, you see a guy on the roof and he's crouched over like a bird on it. And he's, I swear to God, he said, with his tongue out. That stuff was He was making funny. like cat noises. He was making cat noises. They, uh, they were all started making animal noises, which I think is like a thing that people did, uh, I guess, to mock people. But the... I sort of the primary conflict, and as you mentioned, is like kind of between Toe Cutter and Max. They actually don't come in conf- like into conflict much throughout the film. It's only towards the nope. end when they have their sort of confrontation, and of course Max emerged victorious. But I really like this idea, and it's not nece- it's not done great in the sense, not that it's not done great. It's not done excellently because the script in this, in terms of dialogue, it's very sparse. And George Miller had said that when he was making this film, he wanted to make a kind of, as he said, a silent movie um, in a modern day with a focus on visuals and kinetic action and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I think Miller excels. I think the direction here is quite good. There's especially notable scenes in which um, the framing, and I wrote some of them down here. For example, the scene in the beginning of the film in which the biker gang attack the couple it's done nicely that you just get this montage of shots after they sabotage their car in which it shows them hammering on the hood and bashing out the windows and it splices in between very quickly in a sort of montage fashion and then you just get the scene of a crow a black crow and then you see them pull them out of the car and that's great implication because of course we don't see what happens but we know that they're raped and assaulted and who knows what else after we find the aftermath of that but there's great Mm -hmm. scenes like that and I think people, as you said, will take issue with the sort of leisurely pace in this film. And that was kind of my problem as well, to a degree. Because it's a 90-minute film, and the the pacing is not necessarily tight, because you will get these scenes in which you're kind of waiting for something to advance the plot. I think this really would have benefited, um, not from more runtime or even less, but I think just more in terms of development, you don't see much or you don't find out that much about Max uh, and his family. And perhaps that's for the best and a sort of typical action hero mold. But I don't know. I think the best part of this film for me was this idea and this kind of ambitious sort of uh, theme that George Miller had, which is that insanity around you and the chaos around you um will affect you and of course max is trying to get out of the game as from the front beginning of the film i don't know i just i think this movie had potential and i think it's a good movie and there's obviously still stuff i want to talk about but it is disappointing in the sense that as the start of this mega franchise it's a very very simple film and that's not necessarily to its detriment because simple films as we know can be great but it was um, almost too simple for me. Yeah. Um, that, like, there are some scenes in the movie where I still do not know what the point of them were. Like, one in particular is after Johnny the Boy is captured and then released. There's a scene where they're on a beach, like the biker gang's on the beach, and then Toe Cutter brings him into the water <laughs> and puts a shotgun in his mouth. Mm-hmm. And two things. Number one, I don't know what it was about that scene where they're in the water together, but it completely 
and utterly took me out of the movie where like I was just like I'm watching a movie I don't know what it was but it like was so corny and like the lighting sucked mm-hmm. and just everything about it was just like a straight up like it could have been from Samurai Cop it could have been in Samurai Cop. And you're right. And I want to talk about that scene as well. Because in that scene, it opens. And it it's meant to be a showcase of the gang, I suppose. It's one of the rare instances when we see the gang just talking amongst themselves and not interacting with MFP or other characters, etc. Um, and it's these two guys are playing with this naked female dummy. And they're, haha, they want to have sex with it. And then um, Toe Cutter makes some strange monologue in which he talks about how the dummy can't be trusted and that it's treacherous. <laughs> One thing about the film is that the depiction of insanity in it is campy. Okay? Yeah. It's not quite believable uh, and it's not quite grounded. And that's one of the things that doesn't really fit with this film because it's a pretty grounded film. You would expect like a more, hmm, I don't know, like intelligent depiction of the insanity especially if you have this kind of biker gang um where they're pretty competent as depicted in the film and they have unity and they have ideals uh, apparently although they don't really explain what they are besides vengeance um in the scene in which he takes him into the water and the thing with johnny boy is that he's like this protege and i thought there was going to be some kind of connection and perhaps this is what it was going to be it's supposed to be some baptism some sort of baptist symbolism but that's one of the things with this film is that it has these ideas and and symbols and themes and there just isn't too much commitment to them. That was one of those scenes that was weird. He puts the shock on his mouth and then they walk into the water, but where are they going? Yeah, and then it just cuts and I'm like, what was the point of that scene? What? Yeah, I, I still do. Like, I thought he was going to kill him mm-hmm. and then he he didn't. And I was like, seriously, why are they walking in the water? What is the point of this? Honestly, I guess this is a good time to talk about performances because I guess you could say some of the. I think some of them are decent, some of them are lackluster. Mm-hmm. Um, Mel Gibson, I think, does an okay job as Mister Maxwell. He does or... an okay job, but I would. The first time I was watching the movie, I was like, "Is he doing an Australian accent or not?" I okay. I, I still really don't know. I think there was a. I don't know if that's is the this is the cut I watched, but apparently for the U.S. audience they did some dubbing, and mm. the reason of course was because they didn't want Americans to go like what the hell are they talking about because they would use Australian slang and such like that. Um, it's funny because that you mentioned that for for Mel Gibson in mind he he sounded Australian, although he was pretty intelligible. So I don't know if it was a dub or not. But for Hugh Keys Byrne, who plays Toe Cutter, uh, they actually had him deliberately change his accent all the time to show that he was insane, which, once yep. again, is just a very campy depiction of insanity. Uh, that's something that a uh, theater kid would do, not uh, a cutthroat leader of a biker gang. It is. like uh, there. There's a lot of stuff in this. Like, kind of when we did, um, in the same vein of when we did... Uh, what? Um, Judge Dredd, like, and they had just, like, that stylized view of poverty, like, they again have this, like, really stylized view of insanity, where it's like, and jumping around and making weird faces, where, in reality, it's more scary. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, like, 
one performance in this that just sucks is oh what was his name um bubba bubba zanetti yeah and he's so straight-faced and he's just like yes tokata i will kill him very, very strange as well because everybody else acts insane in that gang uh, especially johnny boy he's kind of i guess meant to be the opposite of bubba and i guess the main trio in terms of identifiable characters from the gang is toe cutter is the leader johnny boy the protege who's like really crazy and doesn't know anything and then bubba who i think is like the straight face second in command he is pretty very very flat i'll agree uh he doesn't really add anything and then he's very unceremoniously killed towards the end of the film by max mm-hmm. i actually enjoy johnny boy and i know i can tell that some people be annoyed by this character but i think he sells the insanity the best out of yeah. all the characters and i found him an actually more interesting antagonist than toe cutter was because toe cutter is very cut and dry as movie you know movie bad guy he wants to hurt people for no reason and you know he does bad guy things they give a little bit of conflict with johnny because of course he rides along with these guys participates in the rape most likely but he's left on the side of the road i think accidentally and they managed to pick him up and in a great scene uh goose who is max's partner uh tries to fight to keep him in the station after they find out that none of the townsfolk or even the rape victims were willing to testify against the gang, likely out of mm-hmm. fear. Um, one of the standouts from the film, and that was done uh, in a great performance, by the way, by Steve Bisley, who plays Goose. Johnny leaves the station after that, and of course, they the gang will not forget what Goose has done. They sabotage him, and Goose is hanging suspended upside down in his car, trapped, and we see a gas leak, so we know what's going to happen here. And in actually a pretty decent scene, Toe Cutter forces Johnny to kill Goose by lighting the car on fire. But even in but in that scene, uh, Johnny is very hesitant. To a degree, it's almost unbelievable that he hadn't done something like this uh, to that point. But he is new in the gang. I thought it showed a decent conflict uh, in this character. And I think that one scene actually gives um, is actually like gives a little bit of weight to the very ending scene which i kind of want to talk about a little bit later but uh he was my favorite in terms of performance from the villains jesse uh who is max's wife does a decent job and i'll say that their romance is well written yep and pretty engaging which is a rarity in these kind of cult films unfortunately um but it's almost a interesting it's a it's interesting that it's such a focus of the film and, you know, because we're kind of conditioned at this point, and this is a 41-year-old film, we know that the focus and the establishment of their relationship and us coming to uh, like Jesse is, of course, setting them up um, for their for Sprague and Jesse's death later on in the film. Yep. But it's all done very well. Uh, it's just authentic, and it really helps to sell. And although I guess you could call her getting fridge, it does really contribute to Max's character development in a believable way when this character that we come to know gets murdered and we know that his family really is the one thing that he looks forward to because he doesn't enjoy the job as much anymore. Yeah. I So I think we both kind of weren't crazy about the pacing and the world building mm-hmm. and, and some of the performances, but I want to give a... Sh- I want to spotlight two things. Mm-hmm. One, the editing, 
and to the stunts. The Sounds editing good. in this is crazy good. Every time there's any sort of stunt work, they do these super quick cuts of like um, near the end of the movie. We get this kind of funny, kind of cool um, dummy that they would pop the eyes through to just be like, <laughs> like super scared. And they reuse a frame of that in Fury Road, which was hilarious. When I rewatch Fury Road, they, Max is a dream scene, and we see those same eyes popping out. Um, but there's a scene where when Goose flies off his bike, it you see it from like a few angles. Then he stops. The music cuts, and then he just like flies off his bike, and like I felt like I was levitating with him. I was flying because mm-hmm. the mu- music swelling, swelling, swelling. Soundtrack's also really good. Swelling, and then flies off um and the stunts are crazy like the at the beginning of the movie one of the cars just flies through this camper completely just destroys a camper smashes into a van um there's one scene where a guy gets flung off his bike and i swear the bike hits him in the back of the head but i couldn't find any information about that but it looked like it was not fun i saw Um, that too yeah, you saw that? Yeah, I, I think... I don't know if that was deliberate because it was probably done in just a fashion where the him and the bike fly off. But it was interesting that that happened. And he seemed okay after, but it looked like that hurt when you know you get hit in the head by a bike. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the stunts and the, the editing really, like... It, it is... It could be a silent movie. Like, would... it, it is so dynamic there's so many different shots when they're driving like you'll get like a far away close-up zoom shot where they're just tracking them they'll have one where clearly the camera's on a car following them there's lots of different uh lots of different stuff just totally keep you in the action a part of the action i i'll agree like the practical effects stuff and then the action in this i think is well choreographed the best part of course and when it shines is when we have car chase sequences and car crashes they destroyed 14 whole vehicles for this film uh and probably a number of dummies as well uh and it all looks good Uh, i like the vehicle designs as well uh of course max's uh, v8 uh, pursuit special is kind of iconic now and he has Mm -hmm. it in fury road as well Uh, but the way that the cars are dressed and everything looks very nice uh, the costume de- design as well, I appreciate it. It's not quite the same sort of uh, extravagance that you would find in, say, Fury Road. Uh, but it's I like the, for example, the MFP uniforms all clad in leather with the shin guards and the elbow pads. And in some scenes, Goose wears this sort of black mask on top of his face that gives uh, a kind of a cool look that they actually put on the poster, even though Max doesn't wear that at any point in the film. Um, but the action in this, in what you would call an action movie in this is good. Uh, surprise, once again, like pretty sparse. I mean, you do get some good sequences, but they actually do shy away from the violence in this. A lot of it is just implied or a lot of it is done, um, with quick cuts and such like that, perhaps for budget reasons, perhaps for censor reasons. I'm sure critics bitched about this movie's violence too anyway doesn't really matter there's nothing you can do guys just put put as much shit as you want in there yeah uh, but uh the practical effects are good uh, there's even like a couple of blood squibs and man it really makes you remember 
like the scene in which uh, Max gets shot through the knee. Yep. And you just get a nice squib. And it's a really split second shot. But hey, it looks believable. And that's the power of using real squibs. <laughs> that's all you gotta get do. Get using them. I'm sorry, say it again? I said get using them. Get using them, guys. I mean, I they're messy and expensive probably and not as convenient but uh filmmaking is is gritty okay you should be getting down in the trenches and getting your hands dirty that's what it's all about uh i talk talk about the ending yeah we can talk about the ending uh so the ending of the film you have max on vacation he retires all right and the police chief and in a great scene in which max delivers uh, his resignation notice uh you have this sort of barrel chested sort of teddy roosevelt type uh, police chief named Fifi, uh, in a kind of funny way. Um, he's, he's shaving and smoking a cigar and Max hands his, hands him his resignation and Fifi's going on and he's giving the spiel saying, this world needs heroes, Max. Those heroes can be you and I. And funny enough, there's some patriotic orchestral music happening in the background and, and almost a nod or a sort of, uh, like a, in a very self-aware manner. Max is not that bullshit off. Who are you trying to who are you trying to convince with that? Uh, Max then goes on vacation, and they find him. Well, they actually don't find him, and this is an interesting point: is that they kill his wife and kid, but they don't know that that's Max's wife and kid. Yeah. Uh, they just Jesse goes to give Sprague ice cream. Uh, she encounters them there, but after kneeling Tokar in the crotch, they manage to get away. But then they find her again while she goes to the beach. They chase her through. Max goes to the forest after to see if there's any remaining. Uh, and then they actually have a little bit of a confrontation. And in a sm- another small great moment, you have this supremely old lady named May. Um, her manor is the one they're staying at. And she actually managed to subdue the entire gang uh, using a, <laughs> like this old old shotgun that she probably had seeing in the shed she locks them all in the shed and they all get away however jesse sprague and may when they're in the car the car breaks down they hit the road and the gang comes back and i have a little problem with this one shot and it's i guess kind of iconic but it almost lacked the emotion that would have been necessary for me in the scene to really sell it they run over Jesse and Sprague, and of course, they didn't want to have a graphic depiction of a baby being, you know, murdered in the yep. road. But you just get the shot of like his toy and one of his shoes flying off, and the bite, and the gang continues, and that's it. And it was so unsatisfying for me because you don't even get that little bit of blood. Yeah. It would have been so easy to throw a little hand uh, flying into frame or something like that. It's a little bit cheesy. Uh, but from then on, Max goes on a rampage to track them all down. He steals the V8 uh, Pursuit Special that he's shown earlier in the film. And he goes to town on these guys. It, it must have been to avoid sorry, some sort of um, rating. Like when they were making Psycho, they're like, oh, you can't show any direct violence. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was probably like if you, if you showed blood coming out of a dead Maybe that would be X or something. Who knows? But you see, you know, when Hitchcock did that and he had to shy away from the violence, for example, in the shower, uh, shower scene, you get one of arguably one of the best shots 
ever when you just get this close-up of the eye and then the transition to the shower drain where we see the blood circling in. That's a masterful way of yeah. not showing violence. This was not, unfortunately. <laughs> but it is what it is. Max goes on a rampage. Um, he tracks down Toe Cutter and Bubba. He kills Bubba with a quick shot uh, from his sawed-off shotgun, which I think is, I guess, his iconic weapon as well. And then he has his confrontation with Toe Cutter, which mirrors the one that happens in the beginning of the film with Knight Rider, which is to say mm-hmm. Max Max doesn't even do anything. He's just chasing him, and then he basically kills himself. I actually do like this shot, and I'm glad they went full on with it, because as the villain of the film, and as someone who you just seen kill a, a innocent woman and baby... Uh, it was kind of a, it was kind of a, it was, it was satisfying to see Toe Cutter uh, just get absolutely demolished by this massive semi truck, and they use this dummy for it, so it looks like this guy's getting absolutely obliterated under the wheels. That was pretty cool. Yeah, I love, I just love that shot where they take the, the face, face guard off the helmet, and then he, he looks, and the eyes pop out, and then boom, hit by the truck. I. W- and then the final kill is Johnny, and I, and it's like the most ceremonious kill. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, like, why, like, why did they go with that? Like, why wasn't Toe Cutter the final ceremonious kill? It's interesting as well, and I guess it's in part because the story is about revenge, and you know, Toe Cutter, I guess, was responsible for the death of. Uh, Jesse and Sprague. But I'm actually yeah. glad that it was Johnny. And the reason because, number one, I didn't really give a damn about Toe Cutter because it kind of sucked. But the other thing was that, A, it was poetic, of course. Because what happens is that Johnny flips over, or sorry, uh, Max catches up with Johnny and he's taking off the boots of a dead guy who he presumably killed. And his car is leaking, okay? And as we know, he killed Goose in a burning car. So, of course, Max does poetic justice and he gives him an ultimatum after chaining his ankle to his car saying you can either hack off your foot with this hacksaw right here or you can die in a fiery explosion um and then the final shot of the film by the way is great when you show mac driving off it's there's just this tension in the air when you're just waiting for it to blow maybe 10 seconds and boom you get a huge fireball behind it then you get a shot of max and his dead eyes and then the long winding road and that's the end of the film. Yeah, like, all that poetic justice was great at the end of the movie. And, uh, like, it was all done really well. And then by that time, you're like, okay, let's get some action going. And then you get it all. I I don't know. The The world building was was weak for me. So a lot of performances were weak. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, even, like, I mean, the cars were cool. And, like, some of the costumes were cool, but, like, come on. I know it's low budget, but you can still add little details. You can still go to the thrift store and buy lots of different things to make your movie look cool. Put it over the edge and give it that cool look. Maybe that's not what they were going for, and they didn't care about world building, and they just wanted to do action. I mean, the action is great, uh, but then you still got to have stuff in between. And a lot of the stuff in between, I was like, do I I care about this? I don't, like, is Goose the hero? We see him burned, and I'm like, okay. It's, like, barely set up before that Goose and Max are, like, great friends. 
Mm-hmm. But then, like, Goose dying, he's like, no, that's it. I'm I'm off the job. I don't know. They're, I'm out of like, the game. There is just, like, lots of good, lots of good ideas, but a lot of, there's some, there's some, there's a fair share of crap here. Yeah, and you know what? The sparse dialogue and, like, the, and the focus on the action and stuff and, and visuals, of course, I think it contributes to the atmosphere of this film, which is, like, pretty nihilistic, I would say. It's wrought with violence, and the ending is far from happy. Um, but I agree that it comes... There are elements of the film that are a little amateurish in a sense. And this was George Miller's first film. Uh, initially, he was just a doctor, actually. And he actually got inspiration from this film from being a medical doctor and witnessing a lot of car crash injuries and such like that and all the trauma that's associated with road violence. Mm, but I think overall, it's a good movie and definitely worthy for people to watch. And I would recommend it, especially because supposedly uh, Mad Max 2, which I have not seen yet, is incredible. This is pretty far removed from Fury Road uh, for modern audience, though. That's what you got to know. It's almost an antithesis to that because Fury Road is so bombastic, so full of spectacle. The color processing processing on that is is ridiculous. In this one, it's a very much more drab, bleaker film. And in fact, a small a, a small criticism I'll have in terms of the cinematography is that while there are some nice shots in its good direction, the film does have this very very almost gray sheen over all of it. Mm-hmm. Where it's color wise, it's it's very drab, and perhaps I wouldn't be comparing or even talking about the color. Fury Road wasn't always sitting in the back of my mind, but it was something I noticed and something that I think could have used a little more visual flair. I know you gotta go, so uh, let's wrap it up here. If you're fine with that, final thoughts. Uh, one thing I'll say is, as an aside, um, the ending scene, which is great. Um, I just found out now, I guess, uh, that the scene in Watchmen when Rorschach does the same thing, uh, may or may not be just ripped off from this. Basically, he does the exact same thing. Oh, in the prison? No, in, in, in the comic, and I think maybe in the movie, maybe it's only in the extended cut, but Rorschach's like origin, he's been operating for a year or so. But oh, he, okay. Yeah, he, yeah. Continue. He, meet, he meets that guy who took the little girl and he yeah. finds out that he ate her or something. And that's yeah. when he goes cuckoo crazy. And this fed her to like, the dogs. He fed her to the dogs. And then he does the same thing, which is he chains this guy to the radiator and says, cut your arm off or die. And then the same thing happens. I'm not going to accuse Alan Moore of plagiarism here, but uh, maybe it's an homage, I suppose. I'm just assuming that he's seen the film and he liked the scene. It might be an homage, but in this movie, like he, he wasn't saying cut off your leg. He was like, uh, the, the shackles made out of high tensile steel or whatever. He's like, you could get through it 10 minutes or five minutes if you're lucky. I think it was more so just like get hacking away at the thing. At I... The, I assumed, I assumed that the implication was like you will not have the time to do that through steel. So you got to hack off your ankle. Oh, yeah. Okay, I can see that. So it is what it is. But uh, I still like that scene, although it it, uh, it almost it doesn't ruin it, but it makes it uh, a little less special knowing that uh, it was actually George Miller's idea. <laughs> 
But uh, yeah, that's all I got to say about this film. Uh, pretty decent though. And just one, one, one last thing. I like. There's a quiet moment in the film towards the end after Max's family is killed when, you know, he hasn't really committed to his quest of vengeance yet. And he sits behind his house in this little swing chair that he used to sit with his wife in. And he pulls out this mask that he used to scare scare his wife with. Uh, and it's just this kind of monster mask. And it's pretty easy symbolism here, but he looks at the mask and you kind of realize at this moment that Max is about to get ugly for real and that he's going to mm-hmm. have to become uh, as bad as the people that he's fighting against. Insert Nietzsche quote here. But there's stuff like that that makes this film definitely worthwhile. And it definitely, of course, shows promise for George Miller. And he went on to make great, even better films after this. What, the the one scene that really convinced me of their love, like Max and his wife, it was that great scene where they're just laying together. And he's like, you know, I, I'm not really good at saying how I feel. I always kind of just hope that you would know. And stuff like that i'm like oh that is good that's mm-hmm. good writing it's How good sweet. you don't it's just so rare and i guess not in all films but just in the films that we can review for there to be genuine believable romance it's usually an aside something that's done oblig- in a kind of obligatory manner but this one george miller he really sold it maddie what are you thinking on this movie bags for me uh i'm gonna give it three out of five bags a worthwhile film with a lot to enjoy, um, but I think that this is not quite the peak of the franchise, and I think no. that, you know, it's a film that is from a beginner filmmaker, and it shows to a degree. I'm feeling 7 out of 10 on this one. 7 out of 10? Yeah. It's a good movie. I think we yeah, both agree. Good, good movie. And the poster is incredible. I love it. Nice, nice retro poster. That's the kind of poster we don't get anymore, and it's great. Isn't that the cover of PUBG? Uh, be quiet. I don't talk about PUBG. I just want to. I. It's uh kind of similar. Wearing a helmet, guy with a gun. The helm, the PUBG helmet guy. He looks like a cross between Mad Max on this poster and uh, Daft Punk. (laughs) The the silver Daft Punk. Um, next week, Laser Blast. Next week, Laser Blast, and Luke and I have collectively decided that we will be going forward with a one-week advance schedule. So yep. you no longer will be getting films two weeks in advance because what seven days isn't enough to watch the movie. <laughs> you got okay? time. You got time. Okay, let's not bullshit here. Okay, we're all at home. So you get one week. Next week, Laser Blast week after that tbd you'll find out next week yeah exactly uh we got a little song written by buddy of ours andrew and uh he's gonna just take it away now (laughs) 